Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 57 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. My guest today is Manny Hoffman. Manny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited for today. I'm excited too. Guys, so Manny is the CEO of PTEX Group, an award-winning business solutions agency headquartered in Brooklyn, New York, my hometown, where I hail from originally really long time ago. He is a lifelong entrepreneur, is passionate about collaborating with growing businesses to create winning strategies that allow them to lead and flourish. Manny's also the founder of the LTB Let's Talk Business platform, which offers business education to entrepreneurs and business people looking to learn, grow, and lead. And he's a proud husband and father of seven. So I, I think we're going to be getting into some work-life balance or, or family life balance or parent business owner balance strategies today, uh, which I'm excited to hear from you as well. By the way, as, as a mom of five myself, I think that any advice any of us parent business owners can get is great. So Manny, tell us a little more like how did you get into this altogether? Sure. So there's a long story. Um, we just, um, um, in January was 18 years since we get we got started over here. Wow. So, a while. Um, but so I'll try to remember. Maybe I'll leave out some episodes, uh, but I get into the what your listeners will enjoy. Uh, basically, it started at a young age. Um, my first business card I designed when I was 13 and a half. Still have it. And when my friends were playing games or trying to figure out what to do with the computer, I felt that let me create stuff. So that that's that will just tell you the style of a person I am. I'm the entrepreneur by heart, by nature. Um, I was the kid with the lemonade stand or finding stuff that I could re uh, sell or reorganize in my house. And so that's where my journey started. Obviously, I didn't drop out of school at 13, don't get scared. And I'm not recommending it to anybody, but I'm just giving you that feel and the vibe where it started. And as I was ready to do something, I felt that creating stuff is where I want to be. I'm not necessarily a graphic designer. People find this very interesting because I've never designed anything. Maybe in the first few months, I played around with with Word to start designing, but I was more of the business side of things. And early on, I made a decision in my life, and with you know, with God's help, um, I wanted to do something that whatever I do could be multiplied. So if I'm the graphic designer myself, or if I'm doing something. You know, I'll trade my hour for a dollar or I'll trade my time for somebody buying something and using it and so on and so forth. But if I go into the creative space, helping businesses grow, uh, doing, you know, campaigns for people that help move their business forward, you know, the work that I'm putting in today could be for months and years to come. You know, the results that person is actually feeling from the work I do. So that was my original feeling when I entered the business. I said either I could do it myself and, and always be you know, bogged down by doing everything myself, or I could build a company around it and bring in people that might even be better than me. And we could talk about that, you know, having that feeling and knowing that people could outsmart you as, as employees. I'm totally cool with that. But um, 
And this is, you know, 18 years later, we have uh, over 30 employees, uh, growing company, um, a lot of ups and downs as every company has, but um, really excited to where we are, what we achieved and where we're going from here. I love that. So is the company more, is it more of a marketing agency? Like I run a consultancy. Um, so consulting firms and, and my company is modeled after kind of a larger or other boutique consulting firms. And uh, it doesn't sound like that's what you do. It sounds like it's more agency style. Yeah. So we're, we, we call ourselves um, um, a business and marketing service agency, okay. uh, which I mean by that is that there is a, we have four divisions. You know, our model is we help growing businesses flourish. So mm -hmm. you have proof of concept, but you're looking for to get to the next level. Most people start off with a certain strategy, and I know that's what you do as well, and we could speak about that. But then mm -hmm. we have four divisions within our company focusing on different pieces of what a company needs. So figure, like, let's say we have our branding and marketing, very much strategic positioning and, and, and branding and long-term marketing. Mm -hmm. We have day-to-day, -day you know, printing and design on the services side. We have web development and then even have an in-house call center. And when you look at those different services, people say, um, why do you need all these different services? But we're almost like a very simple model, like you see a Whole Foods, um, that once upon a time you had the fruit store and you had the meat department and different you were actually going in different places for different services now you could go to whole foods and you can have the best of all worlds why because you have the people doing produce and whole foods are experts in, in in produce and the meat department is expert in the meat department for its client experience they could have the same level of experience across the whole uh, you know the infrastructure of whole foods but yes it's the same thing all of those services are integrated and which means is a lot of clients would go to a boutique branding agency, but then they're not going to touch their website. Now they're stuck finding another vendor that has to see the same vision, same implementation of what the branding strategist had. So we added those services and the needs of our clients in order to be able to give them whatever we are able to strategize, we're able to execute. Love that. And you and I really, it's so funny. I like that you said that before. Not only are we coming from the same place, but guys, for all of you listening, I, there are like three companies that I would consider my closest to direct competitors, and many's one of them. Um, <laughs> we have had quite a few clients cross over. Like I know some of my clients, when they're done with me, they've gone to you, and I've gone a couple of your guys when they're done with <laughs> you as well. Um, so cool. if, if I could list out like on my competitive analysis, like my top five, you're in there. Um, okay. But I don't believe in competition as a pie that like we kind of have to fight over. I believe in it as collaboration, as growth. Um, and so I'm totally excited to have you yeah. here. So do you, do you want to hear a good line that I use a lot? Yes. Is people ask me about competition. I always say we don't have competition at all. However, we might compete on projects. And it's a very good mindset. Why? Because you're building a company with your vision, where you want to go, and you're looking at it, you're the solo in the space. However, a client have, has choices. So now you have to adapt because the you're basically competing on the project side and they have to make a decision. Am I going with this agency, that agency, this has their, their uniquenesses and then the other has their unique selling points and so on and so forth. If you look at it that way, a, it keeps the, your finger on the pulse as far as growing your business versus looking whatever everybody else is doing, trying to copy, and then finding out that they're, they, don't know, they don't know what they're doing, and you're just copying that, and versus building your own vision, which is important, and we can speak about you know casting, having your vision and casting it on your team and so on and so forth, but then but people that say that we have they don't don't have to look what anybody else is doing is just they're not looking on the market space because they are competing on projects. 
Totally. I like that line a lot. Um, for me, I would say like, I don't have any direct petters because I don't know any other small business consultancies. Like no one else is doing that. But the way you describe it, and again, coming from that same place, like I built my business also because small business owners, they hop around, right? And no one ever mm. sees their whole picture. And so I wanted to build something where not just your marketing, but also your financials, also your staff, like the total business mm -hmm. direction. It's all under one roof. So you don't have the financial guy saying, well, you can't spend any money and your marketing guy going, I need at least $10,000 or you're going to be a failure. And then you're like, help, mm -hmm. <laughs> like nobody can communicate. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think if you look at the, 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 the small business failure rate um, and, and people don't realize that, and you could look at statistics, 80% to 90% fail within the first five years, those numbers, regardless of what the numbers are, People think those are people that never made it and didn't make sales and they were able, they basically, their idea died and they went under. And in reality, those are basically have millions or even billions of dollars in revenue and they still fail. And I would say one of the biggest reasons, and we could go into a little bit in depth if the time is now, um, but um, it's managing the growth. It's easy to grow a business in today's day and age because there's so much, so much of availability at your fingertip. Your 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 network. You go out, you find friends and family to support you. Give you know the, those are the first few clients. But when you go from growing a company to managing the growth, that's where most people fail, and we, and that's where scalability comes into play. And a lot of it is where you start realizing that your sales, marketing, um, operations, and finance don't connect. And therefore, you now have a little bit of everything, but you don't have a scalable model where those things connect in a way that let's just pour more gas on the fire and it's going to just explode. Totally, totally. It's so funny because I gave a talk about that last year at a conference. It was exactly that. And that was my opening line. Exactly what you just said, that people think, you know my talk? <laughs> That's exactly what I said. So most people think that small business that fails, that they never got off the ground. But what happens is, it's that they got to a point where they were about to tip and they couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and they couldn't tip either they can't keep up with the growth or their stuff doesn't align so that when they grow the whole thing just cracks at the edges or they don't mm -hmm. know how to get beyond the audience mm -hmm. that they've built and they can't sustain that and they fall there mm -hmm. like there's there are a lot of reasons but it's very very often it's the tipping point where people fall off the edge yeah and and jim collins which one of my favorite authors and the author of the book got to great good to and great so on yeah. and so forth, he actually just gave out a very small book it's called the flywheel Ooh, and he actually yeah, haven't heard of it. It's a very thin book. It's he doesn't even call it a book. It's like almost like he didn't know where to put it, so he put it in <laughs> like a small book. It just came out like two weeks ago. And nice. he speaks about the flywheel, which is that as soon as you figure out the flywheel of your like how those things connect, mm -hmm. you just go on and on and grow and grow and grow and grow. And any of those components are just disconnected, almost like a track of a train. And and that's all your work that comes down crashing. So right. that's why you have to make sure those, 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 those pieces are really connected. Totally. And that's what I do. I teach people, I try at least to get them from the beginning <laughs> to mm -hmm. build it, build it right from the ground up. So since we're coming from so much the same place, but we landed in different places, I'm curious, how did you land specifically in kind of more the marketing agency space? And I know we call it business and marketing services, but if I look at brand marketing, strategic positioning, print and design, web dev and call center, those kind of all fall under the marketing and sales. Why mm -hmm. that direction more than anything else? Because um, we love creativity, meaning to say, so we landed to a place where we want to help growing businesses flourish. And, and a lot of people will be great 
uh, the idea they have or the business side of things to figure out they're great in numbers, mm-hmm. but they don't know how to somebody to actually brand them or take whatever message they have and and whatever they have inside them or inside of the company and really make that into something that other people would want to work with. So we felt that that's where we could add the most value. Obviously, you mentioned in the, in, in the intro, the LTB, the Let's Talk Business Platform, which we educate people on stuff just because you cannot leave that out. So if we only speak about the marketing side of things um, um, and, and leave out the business side of things and the leadership side of things and so on and so forth, going back to the flywheel, you won't have a full picture. But it's just a lot of the other stuff are very boring and the people that we were able to associate it with and building out uh, were the people that wanted to contribute in the creative side of that flywheel. I love that. And I love that you started it. And I think this is something guys, for all of you listening to really be aware of. Um, many said at the beginning, he never wanted to start something where he was trading hours for dollars. So he built it for you, right? <laughs> Scalable from the very, very beginning. And I think a lot of business owners, and I'm going to put myself included in there, um, you know, you come with a talent and a passion and you start from that point. Um, and again, we go back, let's say the E-Myth, you know, and, and Gerber principles, like you're a technician, are you the entrepreneur? Are you the manager? But even when you're the entrepreneur, sometimes you are the technician. And I love the idea, and this is totally not what I did at all. I did not, I came in always with the vision to build a company, but my idea was I'm going to do it first and then I'm going to train and build from there. And I like that you came in going, I don't even need to do it. I never need to do it. I can hire people that are smarter than me. I can hire people that know it even better than me. I just need to run the thing. Yeah. So, but, but I do want to um, um, uh, differentiate by somebody saying that I don't want to get my feet wet versus somebody building in a way that it's a scalable model, which means that um, I have salespeople. But the reason why I could relate to how they speak to people and what they do, because I went outside knocking on doors in the earlier years. I have stocked the the kitchen. I have actually uh, unclocked the the bathroom when needed, you know. So I'm another guy. I'm actually very much in, in in the grind. However, as you build your team, you figure out, and we, if you want, I could share with you a little bit when we speak about organizational chart, how do people go out from doing everything to doing a little, um, you know, parts of it. But at one point, you need to be able to know if I'm the CEO of a company, there are certain things that only I will do. And if I don't do it, nobody else in the company will do. And if you just continue to micromanage and do what other people are hired to do, you end up, um, A, not giving them the autonomy and they're not good at the job, but ultimately the stuff that it's on your plate is not being done. So in the earlier years, I struggled a lot with that till I figured out, you know, you have to be disciplined about what is your role now in the next phase of the company and so on and so forth. So it might be your phase, as you're starting the company, it might be everything, but as soon as you start hiring, what are the things you're pushing back and giving over to you know to the other people? Um, if in should I go in a little bit of details on that? Yeah, yeah, go in detail for okay. that because I think sure. that's such a big topic for so many people. Um, because the truth is, and guys, like sit down, hold on to something. You cannot scale if you're just one person. Yes, and and people always ask me when is like people say you know I hired my first employee it didn't work out I'm back to my being my own you know being doing everything myself I'm afraid to hire again, and I'll give you a method that I've you know developed throughout the years and I've t- uh, given this to other business owners and I hope you hopefully your listeners will will appreciate it. So when is it when is it time to hire your first employee? 
And the, what, I, what I find is that usually before you hire the first person, those are the people I'm so busy. I, I just don't have enough time. I have so much on my list. I, at the end of the day, I didn't even cross off half of my list. And th that's the conversation you have with business owners. But the problem is they're hiring a person thinking they're going to gain more time. And the problem is if the person will only be cloning you, um, you're not taking account that you're actually going to have to spend time leading and managing and training and stuff like that. For the, for the very few months, the first few months till you don't figure this out, you're going to actually lose part of your own time. So that's the first thing. So my goal is the first person you should hire when you're able to have somebody that could come and complement your weakness. Because then what happens is the two of you are almost one plus one equals three. Because let's say you're terrible at the details or you're terrible at sales and you spend so much of your time on sales and you're not effective. So now you're hiring the salesperson between you doing all the execution and that salesperson killing it with sales, one plus one equals three. Because between the two of you, because one is complementing the other, you're able to accomplish much. So that's my first, um, just the basic before you go hire, figure out are you hiring just because I need an assistant, I need help? and you're not counting how much time it's gonna take you to lead and manage and train and so on and so forth, or you take them, somebody to compliment. Now, the other thing is, as soon as you open a corporation, because you have this idea, you're going to open a, business, a, a bank account, I, I, I teach people to create an organizational chart. Yes, people say, what do you mean I need an organizational chart? My peop, my, this is usually for Fortune 500 companies and they wanna show off who is working and who is the direct report. The way I do it and I teach people is create a organizational chart that has boxes of responsibilities, no names, all the responsibilities your company will need. It's going to be bookkeeping. It's going to be accounts receivable, accounts payable, who opens the shop, who closes, who, um, whatever, operations, sales, marketing. And if you, are, if you have a partner, you might divide it. If you're single, self-employed, your name will be in every box. But when you're ready to hire the first person, your question will be, which box is that person taking away from me? Oh, I love and, that. I had an org chart since my first hire, but it didn't look like this. I like this idea a lot. And, and how do you know which box to give away? That's another tip over here is what are the things you hate doing or you're just not good at? And those are the boxes you start checking off. Why? Because then you start getting the value of that employee. So instead of the hiring an employee and that person is so busy, but you're not seeing the value, my margin just went down because I just hired another person because you didn't give them a full built out of a responsibility and, and you freed up that time that you used to do that. And this is how you grow and you continue to grow and adding those, taking away the boxes till at one point you end up with those boxes that are CEO level or maybe you love doing it. Like a lot of people love doing sales. You know, they have, they have hundreds of employees. They still do sales. So keep it. You're the totally boss. Be <laughs> you can decide which box you want to keep. But at least when you're hiring, make sure that the person comes in in a way where you give over the boxes. So I'm not sure where we got to this point. No, I love that. <laughs> That's fantastic. And it's so valuable. I think, and I teach, and I, I love, I'll, I'll say this again. I totally see why we share clients. <laughs> Very similar. But I love the different angles that you come into things. Like I teach a whole like matrix and this whole like, you know, three by three system to find your hires. But at the end of the day, it's all the same principles. It's yep. all the same business ideas. The idea is leverage. Um, mm -hmm. It's not that you can't grow as one person. You can, and you can grow a business to a point, but you cannot scale. You hit a mm -hmm. ceiling. 
Yeah, so the person needs to know their preference. Do they want a lifestyle? Do they want to build a company? Like there are people that I want to be able to work remote from wherever I want and I just take my clients and on, on, the, on, on the, the, the amount of clients that I want. So, and that's perfectly fine, whatever works for you. But if you have the mindset of growing the company, growing an agency, whatever it is, you have to set yourself up for that. Right. I mean, let's talk a second about remote because my entire team is remote. I actually hired someone local last year and I was like, oh, get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> my team is in five time zones, which works because my clients are in like six or seven. And, uh, and I find that a remote team is great. And I think I know your entire team is local. You work out of one massive center. Um, so tell me a little bit about that because I'm very familiar with the remote team and I actually don't understand how people get anything done if all their employees are in their space. So, um, um, you're, if you spoke to me two years ago, I would be way more passionate about everybody has to be in one location. Now, obviously, the, the market is changing. It's certain, you know, I'm a little bit more lenient towards it. But today in the morning, we have, we have weekly huddles. Nothing like being in one room, having the 50-minute huddle, and giving a high five to an employee and everybody clapping. You can't do this through Zoom doesn't work the same that. way uh, the kitchen we you know the ki you know having those conversations in the kitchen and and, and over you know cereal that we offer to our employees yeah it doesn't happen over zoom um, um our ethos which is our core values and we can speak about that how we enforce it and we speak about it there is companies that do it effectively but it's way harder to manage. So when you have a lot of clients that you want to give them that feeling, they walk up in the office, they feel that you're part of their, we're partners, not service providers. How do we see we're partners sitting in a client, in a conference room with our clients and the, bringing in the different team members working on the project? It is something to it. Now, however, we're a little bit more lenient towards, okay, an employee doesn't have to come in every day now if they moved out of town, they could work remotely, they could log in, they could have Zoom calls. So technology helped a lot. But it still doesn't um, um, it doesn't um, replace everything unless part of your core values and your culture is that freedom of remote. So you use that to your advantage. So that's probably part of it. <laughs> I have I have a lot of uh, other working moms on my team, and I, I kind of say to people that if you really want to have a work life balance, um, you kind of need to run your own company, but the truth is they really either need to run their own company or just work for me. Um, <laughs> I give, I give yeah. my employees a lot of, of space, but it, I couldn't not, right? If, if my whole thing is what, it, what do I help people do every day to help them yeah. build that work-life balance, build that best money and that best life, how could I tell my employees like, no, you have yeah. to ruin your life to work for me. Okay, fine, but but I'll give you an example. I just had a conversation with one. I just had a conversation with one of our employees, and yeah. she's here with us for four and a half months. And she said the amount of of learning she, and growth she had in the four and a half months, just being part of the team and seeing how people that are way more experienced than her, let's say a graphic designer, nothing comes close. So take that the same experience. Everybody working remotely and just sending in their the graphics or their files or their branding. We wouldn't have been able to build most of our leaders are people that were became leaders within the company. Now there's a lot of companies that do it remote, but I'm saying the culture that I have built and the vision that I've seen transforms very well within an in-house team. Totally. Now I hear that. And I think it's also what your learning style is, right? If if um, you or your team have a lot of kinesthetic learners. The physical mm -hmm. proximity makes a big difference. Yep. I'm more visual auditory, and I think I hire people that are more visual auditory than anything else. They wouldn't want to work for me remotely full time. <laughs> 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 um, 
<laughs> so yeah. I think that has a lot to do with it also. But here's the thing, and this is what got me when I hired this local person last year, the interruptions. Like I'm spending a lot, if not most of my day in meetings. Um, mm -hmm. If someone needs me, so they're sending me a message or sending me a chat and then between meetings, I'm able to answer it. Um, but when you're in person, like I remember I had this person here and she's like coming, she's knocking on the door and I'm like, ahem, no, <laughs> that doesn't work. So, it, it, you know, I'll tell you, it's usually not that employee's fault. It's usually the leader's fault. Um, the way I deal with it is, let's say if I would just walk out of my office, go to the kitchen for a coffee, probably a couple of people come over to me and you have a minute. I want to discuss something with you. Mm -hmm. And my answer to that, obviously, not if it's an emergency, if it's an emergency, of course, I'll, I'll help them out. But usually what I would say is, you know, probably four o'clock, I have some time. And, mm -hmm. and then four o'clock, I would go over to them and say, oh, taken care of. Thanks. And that's how you train them. So most people love you should make decisions for them. And that's with employees, regardless, remote or in, in person. And as soon as you give, show them the way of let you make the decision and just use me when you really need me. And with examples like I just gave you, with time, they'll learn your style and they won't interrupt. For instance, I have a partner in a company. He's much more on, on the on the go and the cell phone and responding. And so the same client will call him. And if he doesn't pick up after two rings, they'll text him and, and try to get a response. That same person would leave me, send me an email. When can we schedule a call? Because they got as long as you know that you're going to be responding and you're going to call them back and you can tell them when you could schedule a call. They're fine. They get just most people don't realize that they are setting themselves up for that because they're just jumping on every message that they get and they're jumping on every email that you get. So, so a lot of it is your style versus um, other people interrupting you. I hear that. I like that. I guess I'm so used <laughs> to managing remotely that when I had someone live, I was like, ah, you know, my face. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I have no problem ignoring or telling people to wait when they're not here. <laughs> when they're standing at my door, it was much harder. <laughs> yes, yes. But I hear that. I like that. I, and I, I totally take that to heart, meaning the same boundaries that you set remotely, you can set locally. And for anybody who's local, the same boundaries you set locally, you can set remotely. Like it works. It's your sure. boundaries. And it doesn't matter kind of where your people are. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?